0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. This week, Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak delivered a budget that he said would meet the moment of the coronavirus and was aimed mainly at supporting the UK as it recovers from the pandemic and leaves lockdown. But the Chancellor also said he had to be honest with the public, that the bills racked up over the past year would soon be coming due. So what does this mean for advisors and their clients? With me to get to grips with that are Claire Trott, Head of Pension Strategy at Technical Connection, Kevin Roberts, Director of Legal and General Mortgage Club, and Chris Etherington, Private Client Tax Partner at ISM. Hello, everybody. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, David. So, Chris, I-, I thought we'd start with you. Um, One of the um, announcements that has been covered quite extensively has been the freeze to the capital gains tax, the inheritance tax, and the income uh, tax thresholds. Um, I, th- I saw some analysis saying that this was um, effectively a, a wealth tax, by, but done by stealth. Uh, is, is, would
1: you agree with that? I've got some sympathy for the Chancellor in all of this, to be honest with you, because he's got a, a really tough job on his hands. He's been constrained as to what he can do because of the manifesto pledges. You know, Ordinarily, if you were trying to raise some, some quick revenue for the exchequer, you would just add on a percentage point onto income tax, national insurance, one of those. Uh, maybe even VAT, but he really can't, and he's he's stuck to the uh, the Conservative manifesto pledges and saying that they won't touch any of those. But if you're looking at all of those revenues together, that that accounts for for nearly two thirds of of what what the government brings in in terms of its income. I think mean, it's actually 57%, so a little bit off in my maths there. But you know that, that that's your go-to element. And so what what else can he do? You know he's got to be creative, and and if he can't do it. You know, in plain sight, if you like, by just increasing the rate. And the only thing he can do and, and it, to try and raise some revenue on that in that respect is by by freezing and, and freezing. What he's done is in terms of the personal allowance, he's actually increasing it for the forthcoming year. So we've got a bit of an increase as we were expecting to the personal allowance and, and the high rate bans. But thereafter, they'll be frozen for the, for the remainder of the parliament. But we, what we didn't know is that he was going to actually freeze a whole load of other things as well. So you know, we've, we've got the, the pensions, uh, lifetime allowance, which Claire will come on to, I'm sure. Uh, we've got the capital gains tax, annual exemption. That's going to get frozen as well. And for good measure, uh, in inheritance tax, nil rate bans. So there's, a, there's a, a number of measures there that um, will help, if you like, yes, by stealth. But I mean, he's being open and honest and telling us that's why he's doing it because he can't he can't do it in any other way. And by the end of the parliament, um, the the amounts of people dragged into the income tax net from 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 these measures, if you like, or into the higher rate tax net, that should generate, they estimate, about eight billion. So it's it's a pretty substantial sum. Like I was saying, if you were to j- just put one percent on income tax normally, basic rate, turn it to twenty one percent, say, that. The HMRC estimate that would bring in between 4.5 billion and 5.5 billion. So, yes, it's, it's had some impact, but also you know, those measures with an inheritance tax and so on, they're expected to generate a fair amount of revenue as well. So you know, looking, at, looking at the stats that they've published today, that's nearly half a billion pounds that will raise. So it, interesting measures, but perhaps not entirely unexpected
0: i suppose it's not at least uh, a capital gains tax rise or uh, uh, there was some suggestion even about a wealth tax uh, some oh, yeah. probably right. probably a bit un- un- unlikely i guess from a conservative uh, think, government anyway
1: indeed yeah i think he's he had serious challenges trying to bring in any sort of the capital gains tax reforms that he's been looking at and obviously a lot of we've had a huge amount of speculation on that from in the last six months or so Following the um, the report published by the Office of Tax Simplification, where they recommended more closely aligning—not necessarily exactly the same—but more closely aligning the income tax rates and the capital gains tax rates. Now there's an ominous silence on all of that. We are actually expecting the second report from the the OTS, the Office of Tax Simplification, on all of this. Now the first one was fast-tracked, and that you know it, it, to give you some context, we, usually what happens is that they they. They send it out, they ask for you know responses to the consultation. And then it, it, they, they take some time to, to consider it and come back with a report. After after we had we published our responses, and, and I'm sure other council firms did as well, you know, the report response, uh, if you like, in the first report was published very, very quickly. So you know, you don't you don't write you know 14, 000 words overnight. Um, it was clearly some pressure, I think, politically for to get that out. And then He's been using the media as you know. It's almost commonplace now to use the media to um, to trail, if you like, and, and focus group whether these policies are going to stand up to scrutiny both within his own party and and the wider public. So we've had a lot of speculation on CGT. It didn't go down particularly well as you, as you might expect. Um, but you know, it it actually suited the chancellor all the speculation because lots of people will have been trying to trigger capital gains, thinking about you know maybe fast tracking transactions all because there's speculation about it and what does that equal extra revenue for the for the exchequer so he's managed to get a whole load of extra cgt revenues without actually doing anything you, you're you cynic um, claire
0: if i could just bring you in here quick, one of the other things which has been frozen as, as chris alluded to is the um lifetime allowance uh, how big a deal do you think that is
2: well, I think with the last announcement, it's been frozen immediately. So we haven't got the the extra year that we've got on the personal allowances. Um, so although this year was going to be a very, very minor increase, we were looking at less than £6,000 that it was going to go up um, at the turn of this tax year. But the, the cumulative effect of it could be quite significant. If we get high CPI, uh, then the cumulative effect of this, this basically freezing um, will bring a, more people into the lifetime allowance however there's obviously planning opportunities there because just because you've got a lot you are hitting the lifetime allowance unless you've got to 75 you can defer taking your benefits or you can take up to the lifetime allowance so there's a little bit of planning that can be done um, to sort of mitigate that and I think some of the figures shown in the budget. I mean, it's not showing a huge amount of uh, revenue coming in, particularly in comparison to some of the other allowances that have been frozen. And I wonder if they factored that into the fact that people will just not necessarily exceed the lifetime allowance because they do have those options. However, there are people who don't really have that choice. Um, So those people who are having to retire, they can't continue working or who are in a defined benefit scheme. And my my thoughts go back to the NHS again, The, the NHS doctors who've worked so hard and who have built up extra pensions due to working all these extra hours, then if they're coming up to retirement, it's a kind of all or nothing for them. Um, and they may just well tip into the lifetime allowance and then that they may not have done before. So it, it's a again, it's it's an unfair allowance if you compare DB and DC um, and, and that can be uh, something that they can't manage. Whereas what people sometimes call fat cats, which I don't think, you know, you really are. Even if you get to a level of that level of pension in a DC uh, pot, it's not going to buy you huge amounts uh, in retirement, uh, which is what what the references were back at a day, but it's, you know, you just don't have that flexibility um, that, uh, that you necessarily would. So I think, I think it's it's a, it's a real shame. Um, It's a real shame that it's been brought in mainly because I don't think it's going to bring the revenue that they might've hoped. Um, What I'd love to have seen, I have to say is at least if they were going to keep it at a certain level, round it up to a sensible number, because the figures just really painful to use.
0: I suppose uh, similar to in other areas, we constantly get rumours in the lead up to budgets about pension tax relief and how that might be changed or reformed or um, what have you. And is, Do you uh, think it's a good thing that, that they're not sort of um, doing anything for the moment or do you want might they just get it over and done with?
2: Oh, I think it's something that's very difficult to do in a budget. all honesty there's so many moving parts to pensions tax relief Uh, you start capping it saying you can't get higher rate then you get issues with uh, company contributions for example because you would have to try and um, tax those so people who are getting company contributions um, are are not benefiting and not changing their contracts so I think it'd be something really really difficult to do in a budget it's been reviewed um, and even looking back to last year uh, the public accounts committee said you should review who's getting all this tax relief the government went And we've done this before. Um, We're not in any hurry to review it again, but they said 12 months. So um, there's always scope for them to sort of, if we think that 12 months from last September, possibly coming up for next, this October, you know, is a possibility that they might start another review. And, and, And we've got, there's still consultations to come on the back of this budget. So I'm not going to say never uh, at this point. Um, so we still might see some more things coming out uh, in, well, 23rd of March, I think they've announced it as.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, and Chris, if I could just bring you back in here, one of the things that you you uh, spotted was to do with the um, corporation tax and the fact that um, some of the proposals might make it harder to um, take money out of a business. And I suppose this slightly ties into Claire's, Area of, uh, of expertise as well. Um, yeah. Chris, what explain a bit about what what um, you, if the effect that you think those changes are going to have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as many people have seen, a lot of the focus, if you like, it has been on corporation tax in this budget, and an increase in the normal rate as it stands now at 19%. And we're actually almost going back in time to sort of 10 years ago, so where we had corporation tax in in the mid 20s, was going to Rise to 25% from 1st of April 2023, and he's given us lots of forewarning that this is going to happen. But we're also going to have a a, a dual rate, if you like. So go, again, we had this in the past, so it's a bit like Back to the Future in one sense. Um, we've got at one point, you know, for, for smaller businesses where your profits are at 50,000 50, or lower, that's going to be the sticking at the current 19%. Then we'll have this sort of phased increase up to the 25%. And um, large corporates, effectively, who are being profitable, will be paying a lot more corporation tax. Now, what does that mean for individuals? Well, ordinarily, an individual who owns their own business has probably been thinking, well, dividends are the best route for taking money out of my Mm -hmm. business, other than pension contributions. Claire will correct me on that, of course, because the pensions are much more tax effective. But if you want cash into your own hands immediately, then um, dividends has been the tried and trusted route. And you know, the, the thing to take into account there is that if you own your own business, you can't just look at the personal income tax rates. You've got to take into account the corporation tax rates as well. It's your business at the end of the day. Look at the whole thing in the round. And with dividends, you don't get a deduction from corporation tax. So you know, the, the fact that it's gone up, that uh, will be going up to such an, uh, a substantial extent, will have a material impact on deciding which route to go down. Does it actually make it? As tax effective as it will, was for, for for paying yourself a dividend. Actually, I think the if you if you toss it all up in the round, I suspect you're much closer now between um employee it, it, just a normal employed salary uh, or bonus versus a dividend. Uh, and then we're looking at different routes. So maybe pensions, for example, um if people have made like loans to their own businesses and you've got large directors' loan accounts, actually paying paying yourself some interest might be the best route overall if you wanted to cash into your own hands. So, yes, probably not necessarily uh, been in the forefront of the Chancellor when he's introduced this sort of measure, but it will have a, a significant impact for business owners going forward. Claire, do you think this is going to make um, the pension route more uh attractive?
2: Yeah, well, I think if you look at all the figures the pension route wins at the moment but uh, as someone said to me you can't buy groceries with a pension until you're 55 so that does cause a bit of a problem um because with the pension side yes it's an allowable business expense so it reduces your corporation tax but you also are not paying any national insurance either personal or employer so that's another 15% plus plus that you could be saving. So um, I think it's already been a driver, but we would always go second choice dividends. Um, and I, as, you, as Chris said, I just don't think that that's going to be as clear cut uh, when you're trying to do it. But I think it's a balancing act. And we always say that it's taking things out using the different means in the right proportions to the best thing for for your business. Um, And I think that's just going to make it a lot harder with this sliding scale. Um, Which scale can I get myself into by doing what um, and what are the ongoing implications of that for other things? Um, So it's something that's going to take a lot of brain power um, that hopefully I won't be involved in uh, going through.
1: (laughs) That's probably my problem more than Claire's, I suspect. Um, I I think the other thing to, to raise, it's not just business owners necessarily. A lot of people have been wrapping their investments into companies. So we've got you know, um, you know, lots of property investment companies because buy-to-let landlords have been attacked over the years. Suddenly those are all going to be potentially a lot less efficient unless they're quite small portfolios. Um, you've got people who are putting their whole share portfolios in there as well. So what's the impact going to be on those sorts of structures going forward as well? Speaking
0: of things which have been frozen, we'll just bring Kevin in um, here. Um, I suppose the stamp duty holiday we thought was going to um disappear at the end of the month now it's remaining in in, in place at least for the time being anyway is, is this anything other than just kicking the can down the road from, from the chancellor
3: well he's he's done it in two parts hasn't he so he's, he's given us three months extension um but he's also given us a little bit of a taper so for, for the month of september isn't it you, you've got um uh 250 instead of the 500 um uh, allowable limit so, so that's good. I, I think that the problems we were seeing in the market with demand and trying to get a removal van in, in, in March, uh, getting conveyances, et cetera, was that there was an awful lot of people who started with good intent, even December last year, m- may have missed out on this. And I think the chance done some good things there in trying to protect those and having that three month window without that, that small taper. Um, I think we should should be applauded. I would just caution any headlines about people wanting to start that journey today. Um, you know, Rightmove have said uh, it's eighteen weeks um, uh, to to get to, to the end of the process. Our research was seventeen weeks. I know a company called Kudu came out and said ninety six days uh, over the last couple of days, but that that was more for a mortgage offer. So. Yeah, hopefully it's not suddenly going to get another stampede of people hoping to, to hit the deadline, because we have to bear that in mind. All those people with uh, good intent who started the journey, it's, it's, it's great news, and it's great news for the mortgage industry as well. It, it means no immediate cliff edge, and we can carry on, and hopefully you know, that the housing and mortgage economy can continue to drive the border economy, which I think it's been successful at, which is good news.
0: I suppose you do run the risk slightly of just pushing... I know it's a taper this on this particular occasion, but you run the risk of sort of pushing the pushing it just further and further away. So you keep end up, you you keep end up having a, a cliff edge that you never really end up facing.
3: Yeah, I think um, hopefully if we trail the headlines right and more advisors etc. do counsel people, um, you, you've probably got a very small window if you're starting your house moving journey. Uh, over the next week, maybe two weeks, to, to get in there with you know a, a good degree of confidence that you can achieve this. Otherwise, you need to be very vanilla and have, have a very very good conveyancer, of removal van, of, uh, and a mortgage advisor on your side. I would suggest to to get you through. So yeah, it, it, it's solving the the problem of all those people that we you know there was over hundred thousand people in in danger of missing missing out, and I think we've solved that, um, and, and, and that's good news. Get cracking then. Uh,
0: the other big um, announcement on on the mortgage property front was the um the guarantee scheme and trying to encourage lenders to come back into the um back into the ninety five percent lTV space after the the number of lenders in that space dropped off a cliff during the pandemic. Do you expect that that's likely to have a meaningful impact?
3: yeah, again, it's it's something that we can applaud and be positive about, you know having the option for consumers to have just a five percent deposit to get onto the housing ladder. That has been missing for, 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 for a while now as, as either service levels or, or credit risk appetite has, has diminished. So, yeah, again, really pleased at that. I think the flip side is both stamp duty and the, the, this guarantee scheme. We're in danger of really driving demand and continuing to drive demand. We've seen the nationwide this, you know, 7% year-on-year or 6.9% year-on-year house price inflation. We have to be careful that that doesn't continue because you just end up negating any of the benefits of of the stamp duty holiday. And, you know, people who only have a 5% deposit, that means they've got a bigger deposit. And we've also got the affordability issue. So so I'm not sure that a guarantee scheme on its own will will help the resentful renters, um, all those people that want to get onto the housing ladder. Because you've got affordability as well, you know what? I am hoping that we'll see something either in the detail or some announcements from the PRA, Bank of England, etc. That maybe will be some kind of relaxation around the LTI limits of you know fifteen percent at four and a half times. Because it's not just the deposit; it's also affordability. There are many people renting at the moment that can afford the you know, could afford the mortgage payments, but can't technically afford the mortgage. So I, I do think we have to, we, we have to help affordability. We also have to be conscious of that demand side. You know, we, we were hoping, probably hoping beyond hope, really, that there may have been some su- supply um, sort of things. So I think, you know, more house building, that's, that's quite a long term, but maybe some, and perhaps Chris and uh, Chris could comment on that. I mean, maybe we're a, a capital gains tax holiday for landlords or something just to, to help them boost a little bit of supply so that we just keep that lid on, on house price. Demand uh, and house price inflation, so we broadly welcome it. We've just got to make sure that the unintended consequences don't overrun us. Chris, mm. what yeah.
1: do you think? I, I suspect that any giveaways for buy-to-let landlords is quite far off from the agenda at the moment. But I take the point in terms of absolutely there is a problem with supply in the market, and this tapering. I think I agree with Kevin. It's 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 welcome. We need we needed that extension. There's lots of, you know, the, the correction to the market that might have happened if we had this cliff edge at the end of March. It, it was totally avoidable. We shouldn't be having tax policy, you know, resulting in economic blips like that and putting undue pressure onto those working in the sector as well. The, the, to the extent that it's been extended, it is I, to some extent I agree with you, Damien. It is quite a simple way, and there is a risk that we are kicking the can down the road. Maybe not so much. For people who are looking at the 500,000 limit but certainly we've got until the end of September now for a 250k sort of transaction and in terms of the impact of this this temporary uh, extension that we have it goes up yeah you know, it goes down from 500,000 to 250,000 and I think one of the strange impacts so it's not absolutely clear why they've gone down that route as a means of tapering it um, But but clearly we've got different levels of average house prices in in the different regions so we're seeing people potentially downsizing looking at uh, getting out of the big city out of the big smoke and maybe from the southeast into the regions you know could we see more of that happening that might free up a bit more supply um people it ultimately is trying to get people to downsize isn't it and and that's really an area where we might see some encouragement and could be some future policy on sdrt i think ultimately. We're getting slightly addicted to the SDLT holiday, and it's it's very difficult to to find a way out of. So it's been lots of calls pre-budget for it to be scrapped entirely. You know, there was there was some calls to say, right, we should get rid of SDLT, we should get rid of council tax, and actually just bring in a flat proportionate property tax. So he's not done anything that dramatic yet, but um, I think there's still a case of watch this space. Kevin, would you agree with just getting rid of the stamp duty stamp duty completely?
3: I, I, I think some reform is is, is long overdue. Um, I, I'm not the tax expert, but you know I, I, I agree with Chris. You know, um, having the the council tax and the stamp duty tax, I don't think they drive the the efficiency or the the necessary dynamics into the market that, that we intend. So I, I think reform would be um, a good thing. It's a difficult one, Damien. I mean, it, it stamp duty
1: land tax for the government generates so much money now in terms of revenue, and it's almost the perfect tax. You know, very few of us go through a transaction, and we might we might be up in arms at the time that we're doing the deal, but we quickly forget about it. You know, uh, it's not it's not necessarily the same as a capital gains tax or an income tax where we're constantly it's constantly in our face. And what's the definition of a really good tax? Well, it's simple. It's difficult to avoid. It raises a lot of money. Why on earth would you get rid of it if you're sat there as a chancellor? He's almost probably wishing that he hadn't brought in this SDLT holiday in the first place because everybody's now calling it it to be scrapped entirely. So he's in a difficult spot. But this was a one off tax. It was introduced in the late 17th century to pay for the French war. I think finally we might have generated enough funds to be able to go on with that.
3: I mean, think One of the benefits of doing is that last time buyer. So we, we see an awful lot of underused housing in, in this country because people uh, whose kids have fled, you know, flown the nest, maybe stuck in four or five bed properties, et cetera, don't want to move. You know, and sometimes stamp duty is one of the barriers about, you know, downsizing, et cetera. So hopefully that will see some stimulus and it will start freeing up much more of the, the housing stock and make it a lot more fluid. So that's good news from that perspective. Also, another reason why we need to reform and and, and try and really think through what's best for the housing
0: market. Mm. And Kevin, you've you've touched on this already, but one of the criticisms of all of the government's recent interventions in in this side of things has been that it stokes up demand and um, it's helps um, people who would have got on the housing property ladder anyway, just do it slightly earlier, whether that's helped by buy ISAs, lifetime ISAs, helped to buy guarantees, equity loans. Um, are we just getting back on that same um, ride now?
3: I think if you look at some of the stats, actually owner occupation has actually fallen recently. And what we've seen is some of the stock being taken up by landlords, etc. You know, it's been a good investment in a low interest environment. So. Maybe there's a rebalance in there. I still think there's, you know, there's an urge from the government for, you know, go back to the old agenda of, of of people owning their own homes, and I think we'll see more of that. And that's why we have to watch this demand equation, don't we? At the moment, we're just stoking up demand. At some point, we, we do need to see some supply active supply measures and activity so that we, we get that balance and we don't we don't negate all the benefits. And, and house price rises mean that you know, you, you stamp duty relief is it, no longer worthwhile.
0: Anyway, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to unpack from this in the coming uh, days and weeks. Thank you very much to Chris, Kevin, and Claire. And thank you very much for tuning in and to, uh, tuning in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor
2: Podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you as one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the US. Corrient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at corient.com. That's corient.com.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.